Hello, welcome to A Leader Like Me podcast, where we will be amplifying diverse voices. My name is Advita Patel. And I'm Priya Bates, and we're co-founders of A Leader Like Me. We really hope you enjoy this listen. This week, we interviewed Danielle Norris, who is an award-winning communication professional with 15 years of experience in the public, private, and not-for-profit sectors. She's also a certified strategic communication management professional with expertise in strategic planning, government relations, and community outreach. Danielle is a long-time member and volunteer of the International Association of Business Communicators and the Eubora Network. As a lover of books, Danielle started the Love of Literature Book Club to create a safe space for Black youth to review Black-focused books, participate in discussions, and connect with their peers. What did you think about the interview with Danielle, Priya? I just love the passion that Danielle shows when she's talking about the Love of Literature Book Club and the impact that's happening with Black youth who are part of her program and their connection with Black authors and seeing representation. She just lights up and I wish people could see her. Maybe we'll have to to do a video at some point of of that uh, episode, but she just, she just is so passionate about, and she's making a difference. And it, I, I found that really amazing. I love seeing that when people find their passion. Definitely. And her enthusiasm across all the kind of the whole interview was just so captive and engaging and the advice and the tips that she shares and the journey that she's taken throughout her career and the changes that she's made to be where she is today. And when she spoke about her experience on the Leader Like Me uh, program, honestly, I, th- I thought I was going to cry, Priya, at one point. Me too. <laughs> Honestly, it took me, it took my breath away when she she spoke about the, the difference it's made to her and, and she used the word life changing. And, and that's why we know, do what we do, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I am so, we joked about it during the interview, but I am definitely taking that clip. And when I have those moments of despair, I am listening to that over and over again, because it just said everything we needed. We, we hoped the program would bring, and Danielle said it, and that's what I loved about the entire section of that and the whole interview itself. So we really hope you enjoy it. Uh, please do follow Danielle on her social networks. Please have a look at Love Literature Book Club. It is an incredible work she's doing. If you can support it in any way, then please do so. All the information is in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. If you are responsible for the diversity, equity, and inclusion mandate for your organization, join WINGS, a bespoke program where we bring the experts to you and provide a safe community to share best practices to help you progress and cultivate a culture of belonging. You can find out more at aleaderlikeme.com. This week, we are talking to Danielle Norris. Danielle is somebody that Priya and I both met uh, through a Leader Like Me community. I know Priya knew Danielle beforehand. Um, So before we get into that, Danielle, and and, and your questions, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into PR and comms? Absolutely. Um, I'm so glad to be joining you both today. Um, So how I got into PR and comms was actually interesting because I went to university 
and I majored in sociology, which is kind of like, what is sociology? You study people, you understand, you know, how things work kind of a thing. And then I tried to just connect it with like, what am I actually, what do I actually enjoy doing? I enjoy helping people. I enjoy using like words and just putting things together. So when I was doing a bit of research, I figured out, okay, this might be, this might be kind of cool to get into, into comms and, you know, PR. And um, I went, did a post-grad at Sheridan in, uh, in uh, Mississauga, I'm sorry, in um, Oakville. And the course was wonderful. We had amazing facilitators and they really kind of taught us. They, it was very hands-on. What I really appreciate about the college experience was very hands-on. And, you know, she showed us exactly how to create, you know, X, Y, Z and how to do this. So it was, really, it was a really good experience going through, um, going through the program and, you know, getting into it. It was interesting because I grew up in a very multicultural uh, area, went to high school, elementary school. Everyone was very diverse. Um, even my university was, you know, was pretty, you know, we had black student unions, we had all these different things. And when I went to this postgrad course, um, it was very, it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to me because there was probably maybe three people of color in the group. And it was like, oh, okay, this is different. And so it was, I found myself, I, I found that my person, everything just kind of changed. I was more quiet, more reserved, more kind of like, Okay, and everyone's over, you know, cliqueish and you know that kind of thing. So it was one interesting thing, and I, I thought, okay, it's just the course. And then graduation happened, and uh, <laughs> and I, I actually did my um, my internship at the at an amazing school board, Peel District School Board. And the way that I was actually introduced to it, ironically enough, is my mother used to work at the at the board. She was in HR for a number of years. And she was like, oh, you know what? You should actually do your internship with, we have a really cool communications. I was like, school boards don't use communications. Mom, what do you know about? You don't know about this. What do school boards need comms for? <laughs> little did, you know, little did I know she was right, right on from the, from the beginning. So, you know, it was amazing starting there. And, you know, but it was interesting working with them. I had a great team, uh, amazing leaders. leaders. Um, but it was just a funny thing, kind of going through my different modes through this in industry. It just, it's been very... Um, I don't want to say say isolating is kind of, I guess, the word I'm looking for, because I didn't have that same feeling of like you have these other connections. Yes, you have friends and what have you, but um, just something different about being able to connect with someone where um, it wasn't until 10 years later in my career, I actually worked with another um, another amazing uh, Black female um, communications professional, Kimberly Brathwaite. Um, and I'll talk about her a bit later, I'm sure. Uh, but that was the first time that I actually had, you know, was able to, to be, talk about work, but I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm starting this like natural hair journey and my daughter and like what kind of, that we were able to talk about like hair. And I didn't realize how at ease I felt being able to talk about something other than, you know, Grey's Anatomy or The Office or just things that people are watching that's just, you know, just watch to be part of the conversation. Um, but it was just interesting being able to like have that other connection on a level that I was like, you get me. Like we could have conversations with just, by just looking at each other, we knew we're like, what did, okay. All right. So it's just something that it, it really helps to, it really helped me come a bit more alive. I feel like I felt like I was able to really be myself when I could just relax and, and just feel a bit more comfortable in that space. And I mean, we know comms is very, um, it isn't as diverse. It isn't as, um, I mean, I'm sure we're, we're getting there. We're working on it, but it, it isn't as welcoming as, you know, as I would have hoped. So so that's a long, a long, uh, a roundabout answer about how I got into no, it. No, no, kind of it's a, a brilliant answer, and and I'm sure um, I know I definitely um, connect with what you're saying in terms of that belonging piece. You know, like you said, you do have conversations with colleagues, and I've been privileged to work with some incredible colleagues. But there's you're always on the, you know, 
it's, it's that people talk about it, don't they? That true self, that authentic self, you know, talking about things that are really meaningful, where, that, that really help you to belong. And you talk about the natural hair journey that you went through your daughter. And when he's worked with the first, the, the right after 10 years, you connected with another black communicator who understood some of the challenges that you might have gone through. And, you know, was it a microaggression or was it not? And, you know, those kind of things are so important, you know, in, in our kind of journey and career. And what you've described, and I know Priya, Priya will agree, is, is one of the reasons why we did set up a leader like me, because both of us recognised when we first had a conversation about the lack of diversity in our profession and the loneliness that we all feel when we're working in organisations where we're one of very few voices that look like us and very few leaders who look like us. And you do you feel isolated and you do feel alone. So... I'm sure our listeners as well can resonate with that. And, and those who are allies or active bystanders hopefully understand a little bit more why we talk a little bit about belonging and, and the difference it can make. Uh, so on your, so interestingly, you know, we, like I said, we know you through the education work that, yeah, through, through the Lead Like Me stuff, and you mentioned the education sector that you're in. And, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of get your insight on what that world has been like for you around the education sector, because I imagine based on some of the information I've read about the world of education, that it's still a very, it's still not a very diverse organization, I'm assuming. Um, so how, how's that journey been for you in, in that sector? So interestingly enough, so right now in my, my, my day job, my, my day job, it's more, um, we work with, um, folks in the education sector. So whether they're retired or actively employed, we offer like the most amazing uh, insurance benefits and services and everything to really help older adults across Canada, um, you know, thrive and and keep connected, we do a lot of advocacy work and all that great stuff. So I, when it comes to education, it's sort of a, right now, I'm sort of a step, one step away from it because we're working with folks in the sector, but it's not um, like hands-on where it trickles down to where it affects the students. Um, but I will say, interestingly enough, um, you know, being in an organization that is over 50 years old, something that I've been recognizing in, as, as far as changes go in the organizations is seeing how things are sort of evolving. Uh, we're definitely taking a huge approach when it comes to being more inclusive because our organization started out as an Ontario-focused thing for just teachers. Um, but as our membership has grown and as we've been more uh, in, um, being more inclusive to our members who are across Canada, we had to sort of change our approach and also because it's open now to not just teachers, as I mentioned, it's everyone in education. So our language had to change how we connect and how we promote ourselves, how we talk about ourselves. So we went through a huge rebranding process um, when it comes to the education sector because people only knew us as one thing. Um, so that's just one thing that I just want to mention when it comes to when it comes to my, my day job work, when it comes to that, um, we've definitely been seeing a, a shift where you know, when you look at our membership, when you look at um, the, the people who are in there, who are on our boards, who are, you know, representing us, it was very, uh, there wasn't a lot of um, diversity in that. That's just, the, that was just the situation. That's what it was. Um, but you can sort of see how there's a bit of a change and more people are coming in um, from other, from other sectors, from other backgrounds. And it's, it's really amazing to see that, that change. Um, when it comes to the actual education sector, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting because it's almost as if, um, especially here in, in in Ontario, there's um, a bit of a, a bit of an awareness of what's happened. So there was a, a huge um, a huge report that was released a couple of years ago about anti-black racism in the school board, and it was like 
you need to investigate this minister of education. Something is you need to do something. And they did a huge research on that. And they found, yes, it actually is true. So recognizing that a lot of um, our black youth were being uh, not only marginalized, streamed into other, into different, different groups and different things like that, that which were not being represented. And um, what I've recognized is, you know, I see that there are school boards that are trying to do things differently. They're trying to implement things. There are a few boards that have been working with me um, or a few schools that have been working with me in regards to trying to change that narrative because when it comes to young black kids and they're, you know, reading books in school or they're looking at teachers or they're, they're just leaders, people around them and nobody looks like you, like it's a pretty crazy feeling. So just like I said, my experience in my high school, yeah, I had tons of kids, but I didn't really make that connection that I didn't, of course I knew I didn't have any black teachers until I was probably in high school. I had maybe like two, Um, but principals, like, you know, you don't have, when you don't see that around you, you're like, okay, something's off, but I don't know what it is. And I'm reading all these books and nothing talks about me. The only time I hear about black, anything to do with blackness is, you know, when it's slavery and it's February and then that's it. That's the end of our existence. Like we only start on the first and the end of the 28th or 29th, if it's a leap year. Um, but when it comes to like, okay, what are we doing now? Okay, we've, we've, we've done these things. Okay, we have Black History Month and, and they'll, you know, have like food things and people will dance and people will, and it's like, okay, but what are we doing? Like, what are we really doing to help? And I feel like there are a lot of educators and a lot of people who are starting to recognize that. So they're sort of shifting from, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was, people were treated like that in Canada today. Oh my gosh, I didn't know, you know, even like indigenous, like I didn't know that. So people have kind of gotten past that honeymoon phase of, okay, we're getting to know some of the ugly skeletons that are in our closet. Now, what are we going to do? So I, I feel like, like I said, a lot of educators are really starting to, to switch their, their, their thinking and going from being aware to being active. Okay, what can I do? I've ton, like, I've had tons of teachers uh, reach out to me in different areas, whether in areas that's predominantly white areas, like, hey, I'm, I'm up here all the way up north and I don't have any kids of color in my class, but I'd like to introduce some books to them. What can I share? And it's those moments that are kind of like, okay, okay, you get it, you get it. And it may be a small number sometimes, but you know, we have to start somewhere. So I feel like, I feel like they, they definitely, um, the education system is trying to make a difference. I feel like it's just, they're so comfortable with formative things and things that you can just check off a box. Whew, Black History Month is over. All right, next, right? But it's like people who are actually trying to really incorporate that into, into making the experience for these students so much better. So, yeah. And I think that's the opportunity, isn't it, Danielle, that we're really trying to move past the performative and into the actual performance. You know, it's funny that you talk about teachers and not seeing teachers who look like you or you can relate to. And I, I think back now that my favorite teacher of all time was a black man who was my art teacher in elementary. And then he somehow also went to my middle school and continued teaching me art there. So I had him as a teacher for about five or six years. And, and I realized, I didn't realize then why it was so important, but now in retrospect, as you have that conversation, I now, like it's clicked with me. Oh my goodness. The reason I related to him and maybe he related to me was because he was one of the few people of color in 
in any of the the leadership positions. So I want to talk a little bit about that. What we're seeing, and for our global audience, what we're seeing a lot in in Ontario um, and in our school boards is they're actually uh, hiring leadership in diverse spaces. So uh, like where the board, uh, the heads of boards and things like that, we're really starting to get very uh, active uh, decisions. And we've heard that when you hire somebody in a leadership role, the, the, the movement from a diversity perspective, inclusion, belonging happens faster because you've done that versus checking the box at the bottom and saying it's going to happen in 20 years. Talk right. to me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, it's actually, it's such a good thing you mentioned that. Um, there's two organizations that I want to talk about when we're talking about leadership and you know, it's so important to to see people in positions where, I mean, there are a lot of people who are, you know, totally self-motivated and they're like, oh, I'm going to conquer the world and I don't need to see anybody around me who looks like me to do this. But there are a lot of people who are just sort of like, wow, okay, I'm the only one here. Just keep your head down, do what you got to do. Don't ruffle any feathers. Just stay where you are. Keep it, keep it safe. Keep it comfortable. And my parent, my family's from an immigrant background from the West Indies. So it was very much do what you got to do, keep your head down, you know, you're grateful, be grateful for what you have. And it's almost like, not to say that they weren't inspiring you to, to, to try to achieve higher or to try to, you know, reach out to other parts of like, of, um, in the organization. Um, but it was just interesting because it's sort of like, when we're looking at people in leadership positions, it's always helpful to have someone who can kind of bring you up and take you up to that, to, to another place. That's like sort of the strength of a really good leader is they only, it's not like only they excel, everybody around them excels, everybody else is doing well. And what I found when it comes to, you know, looking for diverse leaders, it's such a funny thing that people say, oh, I couldn't find any that look like this, or I couldn't find any leaders who are of this background. And it's like, well, where do you think we we are like under a rock like I don't understand because it almost puts it almost reinforces those negative stereotypes of in order to be in this position in order to be a leader you must look like the people who are at this table and when there's nobody who looks like you at this table then it's kind of like okay well I guess I don't belong at this table um what I'm finding is um with the organization that I work with, um, Ubora, the Ubora Network. So we basically help to promote Black communicators. We help to give, you know, different opportunities and really help to do exactly what we're talking about. Like, get them out there in a sense where they can, like, be in these roles and get ex exposure to these type of roles, um, as well as, of course, providing support and networking. Um, it isn't so much about, like, webinars or teaching, like, you know, learning more, because I feel like as people of color, we tend to over learn like we not say you can never learn too much but you tend to just keep trying to learn more to feel like you belong in a place when you already do you already bring everything to the table so we don't focus so much on webinars and and and, and teaching it's more about networking and really getting out there um but it's organizations like that that help to give you an opportunity to get into some of these leadership positions and also another organization that's actually sponsoring um, my love of literature book club is called bipoc executive search so they literally are looking only for execs and they basically are saying hey you need a director of this you need a ceo of this. like you know they literally are saying there's no excuse now like we are we are here we've been working hard and we need we deserve you know these positions because of the work that we do not because of how we look but because of what we bring to the table with our lived experiences and all these other things that come with being a person of color 
there's also a, a thing about being a leader in place. And that's something that um, our CEO talks about all the time is you may not have, uh, you know, a role as, you know, a manager, a senior exec or whatever. Um, but there's also something about being a leader in the role that you're in. And what that also takes, though, is a lot of it takes confidence. It also takes, um, you know, different skills where you're able to say, hey, you don't actually report to me, but I need you to do this or I need this from you. And I need, you know, how do you help people see that vision and see whatever the goal is and kind of work, help them lead them towards this goal, even if you aren't a direct leader, even if you aren't, a, you don't have that title. Um, that's, that's just one thing I wanted to, to mention. Uh, but when it comes to hiring leaders and, and being intentional about that, you're so right. Like when you, when you, when you start off at that, at that level, you've already um, set the tone. You've already set the set the set the the parameters to say this is what we're about. This is who we are. And and it's really important to mention that there isn't really any value in hiring somebody who is not qualified for the job, regardless of their of their 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 background, their race, their gender, their creed, whatever. Um, it's really important to hire people who can do the job. And it's important for people to re remember that there isn't only one group who's qualified to do this job. Right. So it's kind of like um, you don't want to put people in roles and just have this tokenism thing going. You, nobody wants to do that. But it's like it's just getting people who are in the, these positions to take a step back and say, OK, here's the resume. Here's what this person has done. And here's what this person can bring to the organization. And this is also their experience that they can bring in. We, we are communicating with a diverse audience. Our clientele is diverse. Why would we not have those voices as well at the leadership table? Everything you just said there, Danielle, uh, it, it's something that we have spoken about so many times, especially that leadership um, title that people get hung up on a little bit. You know, they think, I'm not a manager, I'm not a director, I don't have C-suite access, you know, I, I don't sit, I'm not a CEO. And we've always kind of said, you don't need to have any of that title. You know, a leader is how you present yourself and how you build your connections and your network and the influence that you have around the people with you, right? So you lead by example, and it can be whatever you need it to be. Uh, but I do believe, you know, from the, some of the conversations I've had around diversity in particular, people go, well, I can't make a change because I'm not a decision maker. And it's not my responsibility to do that. You know, there's, there's people above me that can do that better than me. And so in, in some cases, it might be the truth, right? Because you do need decision makers to, to, to help create that change. But we always say, you know, small ripples create big waves. Um, and that's what we need, you know, and you're right about the confidence thing, which is why the whole leader like me premise is always built on the foundation of confidence. So, you know, being part of the leader like me community is that the insight sessions, group coaching that we do, the, you know, the, the resources that we share is, is always based on that confidence, inner critic, how to, believe in ourselves, self-esteem and, and all of that, um, which you need that, right, to build that confidence. So whether you're a minority group or whether you're an ally or an active bystander, that confidence will help your knowledge and learning to help you, you know, thrive further. You mentioned um, very briefly in, in the chat that we just had there about Love Literature, uh, which is your book club. I mean, I love the book club idea and what you're doing. Do you just want to share with us a little bit about how you got started with that book club? Absolutely. So it was it was pretty much born out of um, filling a gap, filling a need. Um, as I mentioned, growing up, you know, tons of, of, of diverse people around me, but nothing that I read or that I saw 
reflected or showed that I belonged or that I was a part. And as a kid growing up, I didn't, you know, in the 80s, I didn't know that that was not right. Like I didn't, re- I mean, think about it. I had literally had two Barbie dolls that I could choose from. Dee Dee from Barbie and the Rockers or Nikki in the swims. Like that was it. Those were our only choices when it came to toys, right? To dolls. Um, and that was just what it was. Okay, you take what you get and you just keep it going. Um, but then recognizing as I, you know, I have three kids. They've been through the school system. Um, my kids are 19. Now they're 19, uh, 13, and nine. And seeing that there wasn't much of a change. Like it was actually this when it came to, I mean, not in the dolls and, and the toys section, but when it came to books and in school, it was like, what are you guys, what are you all reading? What are you, and it's the same thing. Like there was not, it was very, not, the needle did not move very much. And then when you think about it and you look at their statistics, um, there's a, a study by I guess, the University of Wisconsin-Madison where they talk about um, diversity in children's literature. And the statistics, it's from like 2018, 2019, but it's still totally relevant today um, that, you know, 50% of books, children's books feature white characters. Almost 30%, so 27% feature animals. Then there's 10% that feature black characters. And the rest, <laughs> the remaining like uh, remaining percentages for, you know, um, Asian, indigenous, um, you know, South Asia, like that's like the, the pie, the sliver of the pie is just so insane. And then I'm like, okay, well, I mean, it's, it's part of a bigger issue when it comes to publishers and, and publication rights and whose books get displayed and who gets, you know, the, these, these rights to have their books out there. But then it's like, we have such a small amount of books for these kids, for our kids to read. No wonder, even if they're out there, you can't find them unless it's Black History Month and there is a big display or a table where they pick every single book they have in the store or in the school library and they put it on a table. That's the only time that you can find these books. So I recognize that, you know what? okay, I can't sit around waiting for anybody else to do anything about this because then I'm going to be much older and there's still going to be no change and nothing done. So, you know what, let's do something. So I started with a handful of kids and um, we started with the book club and and it was a friend of mine, her daughter wanted to read some books and she's always asking me, she's like, Danielle, you read everything. Give me a suggestion. And I'm like, oh, she totally has to read this. So it kind of started out that way. And when there was an opportunity to say, okay, this book club, it's, you know, it's getting some attention. Some other kids want to join. What's your focus? Is it just black books or is it is it reading in general? I want kids to love reading. That's really what it's about. And um, I had to make that intentional decision to say, you know what? Yes, I want all kids to read. Absolutely. But what the focus is here is really about black kids reading and falling in love with reading through books by seeing themselves in these books, right? These books that feature, that celebrate, that represent our culture. And the interesting thing is there are authors who are black, who are, are diverse, who are, who are not black, who also include these characters, which is, which is totally fine because it's all about the representation. It's all about you seeing yourself in these books and feeling like, oh my gosh, I belong. There's a book with a kid who's got, you know, these cool Afro puffs and she's a detective or she's a superhero or, you know, like there, there doesn't have to only be about slavery or about, you know, things that are um, things of the past. Today, there's a detective. Today, there's a superhero. Today, there's a girl with magic and she can do, you know, it's like compare, like Harry Potter. Hello, you can take a look at this book. There's so many other books with other characters that people need to focus on as well. Um, so with the book club, it really started out as, you know, some kids we met in person, pandemic happened. And then it was just like, okay, world, what are we going to do now? These kids need something to like still feel connected to. So um, opened up it virtually and uh, la- uh, last year, and we had honestly 
225 kids. Two, by the time I wow. did my tally at the end of the year, I was like, carry the two. I was like, holy smokes, we have 200, 225 kids. And it's something that I honestly thought of, okay, if I get 20 kids, like I'll be happy because I have 10 kids here, 10 kids there. And I've actually been, it's just been growing. I have a team of amazing uh, black leaders. They're educators. They're people in the community who are volunteering their time during a pandemic. When you think teachers are like not trying to do anything extra, they're not trying to do, spend another minute doing anything that feels like school, but they, they believe in what it is that we're doing. They understand when you see the screen, I kid you not, I get this reaction every time I have a new facilitator join. So we start our session and the screens open up and there's literally sometimes two pages, just these beautiful black faces smiling back. Some are screens because kids are like, ah, I don't want to be on screen. But you just see these squares filling up and people are like waiting in the waiting room like 15 minutes early, half an hour early because they just can't wait to get in and have this discussion. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Okay, so we're definitely, definitely onto something here. Um, and the, what I love about the book club is because it sort of brings together a bunch of things. It's giving these kids a community. And because it's virtual, kids can join from anywhere. So we have, uh, we started off, as I said, like, you know, small little group here in Brampton, Ontario. And then we just exploded. We went as far north as the Fourth of Lakes, of Shelburne. We've got people in Ottawa, out east. I'm sorry, out, uh, yes, out east. We've got um, some kids out in, in Nova Scotia. We've had different provinces. Um, different provinces join us. We had a little girl who joins us from the UK and her accent is just so adorable. We just love her like, tell us a little bit more about you. What else did you think? Like, it's just so nice to hear, you know, all these kids <laughs> joining in. Um, but it's, it's, it's been such an amazing thing because it's more than just it being a large number. Ooh, we have all these kids. So what? At the end of the day, what are you doing? What is the impact? And so, of course, being in comms, we love to have our measurement and our all these wonderful things. So it's asking, okay, at the head, in the beginning, we do a before survey with parents. We do a survey after. We also do a survey with the kids in our last session. We really ask, like, you know, what is the impact here? What are, how do you, for the kids, how do you feel reading a book with Black characters? And they're like, oh my gosh, so exciting. This is good. Like, they love it, right? Um, and with parents, like, asking them, you know, what is missing in your community? Does your school, does your, does your child have access to programs that are catered for Black kids to help them feel included, to help them feel empowered and feel, and their, their first answer is no, they do not have anything like this. And then it's like, okay, as a result of being a part of the book club, does your child now have what you're, you know, so it's really being able to look at the impact. How is this touching the community? How is this helping? And like I said, right now it is virtual. We're going to have to see what happens in the future, if what we can do, but it's really about continuing to build these things up, build up these kids, let them know that they are important. Um, another really cool thing that we do is we also have we also invite black authors to join the sessions, which has totally been a game changer. Um, we've had um, I think maybe five or so five five different um, authors join us so far, uh, and this term we have um, a Canadian black Canadian author, which is going to be so amazing. Um, but what's actually interesting about this is the kids actually get a chance to meet the person who wrote the book <laughs> that they just read and gave like a five-star rating. So the books that we choose, they all love them. They're enjoying them and um, having an author come in and talk to them, give them a chance to ask questions. And these kids ask some serious questions. At first I was like, oh God, I don't know what they're going to ask, but all right, let's go kids. We tried to coach them ahead of time. And some of these questions are just like, it's amazing. And I'm like, yes, yes, 
I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud. So it's really nice to see how we bring these things together. Um, we also play Black National Anthem at the beginning of every session. We talk about why we're there. And the version that we watch is with these three adorable little boys who sing it. I think it's called The Three Kings. It's on YouTube. And we literally, that's become my favorite. So that's how we start every session. We, we do that. We talk about why we're there. We talk about how important we are. We talk about how special we are. And um, yeah, then we go into our sessions and we just talk about our books. And it's just, it is just magical. It is absolutely magical. And that's why as well, I mentioned BIPOC executive search because there are a lot of families who want to participate. And unfortunately, sometimes people just can't afford to. It's such, it's such a crazy time right now. And there, it, the last thing I ever want, uh, this is even before I was able to have a bit of the sponsorship, um, was to have a child not be able to participate because they can't, their parent can't afford it. So I'm always like, okay, look, if you can afford it, go for it. Sign up. If you need assistance, let me know. I will figure it out. I'll figure it out because we have, we have, it's a cost, right? We have to pay for books. We have to ship them. We have to pay for authors. Like the things that we have to do. Um, but I'm so grateful to have such a good network of people in my community who will be like, well, happy to donate. I'm like, guys, all right. Folks, dig deep. Uh, anybody want to put some money out and just help us do this? And, and my friends and the people in the community, it's just amazing to hear the outpouring of, yep, I'm in. How can I help? How many kids can I sponsor? Um, so it's been a really good, a really good opportunity to um, show the community coming together. We talk about a village. It takes a village to raise, um, to raise our kids. And having people with the same mind, even if you aren't from the same background, the same culture, but everybody's focusing on, I want you to prosper young child. I want you to do well. And that's what the, at the crux of what it is. And being able to do that through books has been such, uh, such a blessing. It's been such an amazing. I, I wish Danielle that people could see how much you light up <laughs> when you talk about this, because it's lovely. So to, let's talk. I'm sure for those who are listening, who are saying, how do I join? How do I donate? We'll make sure we put all of those links in our show notes. Um, I want to talk to you about your own journey in terms of a leader like me. So, you know, you, you started with a leader like me in our second cohort. Talk to me about what that, that has meant to you. It has honestly been life-changing. So um, Priya, I've known Priya, well, you know, Toronto. And when she mentioned this opportunity, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, but I don't know if I have time to like do all this social stuff. I don't, I'm not big on social media. I don't know how, you know, I was, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. And I was like, okay, but you know what? I know, I, I know, I recognize something. There's a lot of self-awareness happening, especially during the pandemic as well, but a lot of self-awareness happened. I recognize, you know, there are some areas that I need to to work on. There are some things that I need to do. And in order for me to allow other people to see leaders like me, I have to be that person. I need to get in there and get myself sorted out, right? I got I to gotta do this. Um, so when this came about, I was like, you know, okay, I've, I'm a new manager of a team. And I, again, I had a great, great mentor, a great leader. Um, but I was like, how can, can I, I don't know, can I do this? And it was, it was something that, you know, being a part of this group, it really helped me to recognize two things. Um, one, that this feeling of, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I'm not sure if I have the skills, even though I do, but I'm not sure that I fit in this peg, in the square peg that the world has as what a leader is. And to be able to be in a group with um, women and people from all over the world feeling the exact same thing. So they aren't all, everyone isn't, wasn't, you know, black women, same age, but people all over the world um, joining this group and saying, I too, I feel the same way. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, Danielle, you are not, 
on your own. Like this isn't just you. And having a place where you can come together, everyone has their different backgrounds or different experiences, but being able to come together again on a single positive mission to make you better and to make you um, be that person that you can't see it. You may not be able to see it, but it's inside. And it's like just chip, it's like getting that, that block of, of, of ivory or whatever it is. Not ivory. I'm so sorry. Not ivory. No. Um, the block of something that you're going to make a creation out of. And it's like, it's just a block. But you can see a vision. You know what it's going to look like at the end. And it's just going to take time to chip away piece by piece. And I feel like going through all the weekly sessions, I hated when I missed a session. Like what, when you're not live in the Leader Like Me session, it's just like you watch it after and you're kind of like, oh, I missed out. It's not a fear of missing out thing, but it's like a, a connection thing. You get to talk to everyone. How's everybody's week? You know, people in the UK, what time is it there? People in different parts of, you know, North America, what time is, you know, just like little, little things and being able to connect with everyone and that support system of, hey, guys, I have, or hello, everyone, I have a, a, um, a thing that I'm working on. Can someone jump in and tell me what you think? Like, it's, where in the world do you get that kind of support? Where? Nowhere. Like, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? Because everyone is so out to just, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to get to the top. And the, the, the looking for a place that is supportive, looking for a way to connect with other people who are like, you know what? Hey, I worked on a brief for something like this. It's similar to this. Maybe this could help. You like you literally solved the <laughs> you literally solved the solved the solved the problem, right? Um, I love the support. I love the information and bringing people back to share. Like it was also like, whoa, this person was in the program. This person had a problem with confidence. Impossible. She is so well. She is so like she's so confident. This person is so. How could this? And then you kind of recognize, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I am totally, this is, you all know me. Um, well, not, not listeners, but Korea and, and, and Vita. <laughs> like I, like when it comes to like public speaking and, and just putting myself out there, that's like so not on my list. That's not happening. And being a part of this program, um, I literally, like they hooked me up with like three webinars. I'm talking like from a group of, you know, a small group of people to like a huge international thing. And I was like, okay, Danielle, He's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yes, no. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like <laughs> all the emotions, but having someone behind you or having a, knowing that you have that support behind you to be like, hey, we got you. It's literally the definition of the trust fall. You close your eyes, cross your hands across your chest and you just lean back and you know that they're there to help. And that's literally what it's been like being a part of this program. And just seeing where it's able to take you is just like, whoa. Okay, so yeah, they were right. I could do this. I could do this all along. I absolutely love that, Danielle. And, you know, just seeing you flourish in those, you know, it's, it's coming up to, you know, just over a, well, over a year now, 18 months, and seeing your journey from the moment you joined Cohort 2 to where you are today has been absolutely just inspirational for Priya and I. And, you know, we always say that we give we give you the tools, we give you the techniques, we give you the support, we give you the resources. We'll, you know, we, we, we provide a safe environment, but it's what you do with that that takes you forward. And, you know, all we're, we're grateful and we're privileged to be surrounded by incredible women who embrace the advice and the support that we give and they thrive. And that just makes us feel valued in terms of the work we do. Because it can be, you know, like, you know yourself when you're setting up something from nothing, 
um, it, it can be a bit tiring. You know, you feel like you're just scratching the surface of certain things and certain doors are a bit closed and you have to push on her a little bit harder and you have to convince people that they're worth the investment. So hearing your experience has been honestly i could i could i just want to take this bit out i'm sure we will we're going to take that bit out and we're just going to replay it over and over again when we have those moments of despair that's what we sometimes <laughs> do go through so thank you so much for sharing that and you know what we could again with like all our guests we could talk to you for hours on this podcast but we're going to move forward and talk about um and ask you some rapid fire questions so don't need to be rapid answers um <laughs> okay. Just to say that. So first question is, name a leader you admire who inspired you? Oh, hands down. So remember my, my story in the very beginning about going to a school board right out of my internship? I did not realize that my mother was setting me up for the most amazing experience of my life. I met my, um, my uh, now also director, uh, Sylvia Link. She is like beyond brilliant. She's just so amazing. And uh, at the time as a, you know, I'm an intern. So no, you know, you give interns here, do this, do this, do this. You just, no one really pays attention to interns and, you know, coming into it already, I'm feeling kind of like, okay, I don't really belong here. I'm in this new job. I don't, I, you know, I don't belong. And she just, did, there was something about her where she just found a way to make you feel like, I see you, I see what you're doing. And that's great. Here are some other things you can do to help, you know, work on what you're doing. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I can't do that. I can't, you know, so it was just an interesting experience from the very beginning. I didn't realize I was meeting and I am so privileged to have this because I'll tell you, interestingly enough, for a lot of black communicators, there's a study that's been done. Uh, I think it was in Canada. I want to say I can't remember the name. I'll share I'll share it with you after. But the link is basically talking about in the communications industry, a lot of um, people of color don't stay in the industry for very long because they don't get opportunities they end up dropping out because it's too hard. And I've, I come across those points so many times, but having someone on your side to like speak up for you, having those sponsors, having those allies, and me having that all wrapped up in one amazing person was just like, okay, I'm literally a unicorn. I'm literally the black unicorn here with this because I have so many friends, like they end up going into being entrepreneurs because it, they're just not finding a place. They're not able to get in there. Um, so I definitely would say that Sylvia Link has been such an inspiration, such a, a, a motivator. And um, I've learned so much from her. And I've, you know, like I said, worked with her when I was, you know, in uh, doing my internship. I started out at the school board and then we kind of kept meeting ways and like, you know, just in different jobs kind of along the way, but I've always kept in touch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so done with this industry. I can't do this anymore. And she's like, you know what? Hang in there. Let's keep networking. Let's keep, you know, just gave me some of those key, um, those key points about what to do. And my first thing was actually that she taught me was networking. And I was like, uh-uh, I don't like talking to people. I don't really, you know, I don't know about this. And that's an, a, the um, organization that I met Priya through, um, International Association of Business Communicators, IABC. Um, that's where she said, okay, you know, hey, get in there, volunteer. And I was like, okay, hi, I'm Danielle. And she's like, no, no, don't bring a stack of cards. Just bring a couple, make meaningful connections. And like just some of those key things that to this day, I'm like, people would like hand cards out like they're at a poker game. And it's like, you don't even care. You don't know who I am. Like, you you know, so um, definitely she's been a leader. She's been an inspiration, a mentor and everything that she does. I try to emulate that. And I try to do that and share with the folks on my team, anybody that I work with, anyone that I meet. So yeah, she's a total, 
about the people. It's not about moving projects. It's about relationships. And that's, uh, that's stuck with me forever. That's great. It's always great when a uh, when a boss and a uh, and somebody you know in real life is the person who's the most admired <laughs> and uh, and the one who's inspired you the most. I think we all want to uh, you know aspire to do that for others who are coming up uh, through the ranks, right? Uh, and and I love that. And I know Sylvia, so so I'm sure she'll really appreciate uh, you mentioning <laughs> her. Um, what is the one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Oh, I would tell myself to look in the mirror every day and remind myself how amazing I am and remind myself that, you know what, you are enough and you can do absolutely anything you put your mind to. Um, I would definitely go back in time and tell myself not to worry so much about what people think or how people are going to possibly react. Cause that's what takes forever to write something. Cause you're like, what if they think this? Okay. And then you have, you're exhausted. Like I'm mentally exhausted. I'm having a whole conversation of what I think is going to happen instead of just going with it. So, um, yeah, those are probably it. You know, you're enough. You're you're amazing, and just really encourage and motivate myself. Amazing, I love that. And you know, you know my favorite saying, Danielle, because I say it all the time: you can't be everyone's cup of tea, otherwise you'd be a mug. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah, uh, I love that. <laughs> and uh, final question: What wouldn't we know about you by just looking at you? Ooh. Okay, a lot of things, um, but. One thing that I'd say, I, I'm a, I love music. I love, love, love music. That's what I literally, when I work, I just plug my AirPods in and I just listen all day. Um, one thing people probably wouldn't know about me is that I'm a huge Celine Dion fan. Celine Dion and Shania Twain, they're Canadian, Canadian um, <laughs> singers. And I, like, I've been to maybe three Celine Dion concerts, like, close enough that I could, like, see her sweat. Like, it's just amazing. She's an amazing, amazing performer. And, yes, I know my French isn't very good, but I, I can follow the songs because then she also does them in English sometimes. So um, that's one thing I'd say. I'm a huge, I love Celine Dion. Haven't seen her in Vegas, and I unfortunately missed that, missed that window. But, um, yeah. <laughs> wow. I, who doesn't love a bit of Celine, right? I, I <laughs> Honestly, Bridget Joan era, that's my generation. So that song that Bridget Jones sings, I am all, I'm a Celine fan, definitely a Celine fan. Um, thank you so much, Danielle, for your time, your energy, your vulnerability and your advice. You know, this, this episode has definitely been an inspirational listen. And I know the folks who are listening will take lots away with them. Like we said before, we will share your um, links on how people can support you with Love Literature, how they can follow you. I know you're not a massive social media um, presence working fan. On it. On working there. on it. You're working <laughs> on it. We're working on it. Um, but, you know, they can, they can follow Love Literature and the work that you do there. And if they want to donate and support some of the work you're doing as well, we'll make sure that's all covered off. But... Thank you, Danielle. And we wish you all the best with what comes up with the book club going forward. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. 